0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So we uh, jumped off of a series that we called Haggai and I, Haggai and I, uh, and we just sort of took a little, quite sw- small, little left turn, and now we call it Haggai and Z, Haggai and Z. Uh, we're just kind of working through the alphabet, no. Um, but we are just uh, talking about, because there's one. Sp- uh, particular uh, message that Haggai had for one particular man, and we started this uh, last week, uh, just looking at this conversation with a guy that we're just going to call Z. Uh, his his full name was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, I won't make you say it uh, with me. Uh, but we, but but Haggai had a specific conversation with Z, and last week we talked. We we showed you why why he's so important, why he matters, um, and so we we basically said this. We said the one Of the big ideas was it's the small things that no one sees that results in the big things everyone. Needs. It's the small things. That, it's the small things that we do. The small habits. The the small routines. The, you know the small changes uh, over time. Over time, those things will result in in big things. Good habits. Sometimes bad habits. Uh, sometimes good changes. Sometimes bad changes. Uh, but it always starts with the small things. It always starts with the small things. Um, what we looked at too was just to try to get you caught up. If you if you weren't here, what we looked at too was is that you were you were made for more. And so this was sort of the point of Haggai's conversation with Z was was basically saying, um, Zerubbabel, you were made for more. And that's also true about you. You were made for more. And we looked at just some complicated family tree dynamic uh, that we don't really even, aren't really totally sure who Zerubbabel's father was. Uh, we're not really sure. The Bible mentions two different uh, guys who were both part of, who were brothers. We know that they were Shealtiel and Padiah, they were, they were brothers. Uh, but one, you know, in one particular uh, you know, passage, it mentions that Shealtiel was the, the father of Zerubbabel. But another particular passage, it says that Padiah was, you know the father of Zerubbabel, um, and, the, and we came, basically came to the conclusion that we have no idea. We don't know. But the point was, is that Zerubbabel came from. He came from a different family, our or, or family tree that was that was important, that was necessary uh, for him to go through. Whether it was Shealtiel, whether it was Pedia, we don't know. But we know that as a result of you know where he came from and the line, the family line that he came from, that he came from. Uh, a family line that produced someone named Jesus who is our Messiah. Isn't that pretty incredible? And so here we see this small little book, this minor prophet uh, in Haggai who has a conversation with a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Generation, 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 generations later, out of that line comes our Savior. Out of that line comes our Messiah, and so, again, just looking at, it started with a small thing. It started with a little small book called Haggai. It started with a little small conversation with Zerubbabel. And from that, a big thing happened. That mean, what that means is that you and I are a part of this grand scheme, this God plan, sovereign plan that he put in place. And even if we look at Haggai, and many of you, me too, haven't really read Haggai before. You're like, I didn't even know Haggai was in the Bible, right? And, uh, you know, but it started from this very, very small thing and produced something that is massive and which made impact for thousands and thousands of years and has impacted you. And it's why you're here today. And it's the small things, it's the small things that produce big things that we all need And it shows us that you were made for more. We're all made for more. God had a purpose for Zerubbabel. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you. So we looked at Haggai 2. It says in verse 21, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. And that's, that happened. when Through Zerubbabel's line, Jesus came. And it, man, I'm telling you, that shook the heavens and the earth. The impact that Jesus made on this world and not only on this earth, but also in heaven. I mean, that made lasting, lasting impact still happening today. And then he says this in verse 23. On that day, Declares the Lord, Lord of Armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shilteel. So maybe Shealtiel, maybe Pedaiah. We don't know, but all we know, he was the son to someone paternal. <laughs> that was our, our point. He was the son of somebody, someone. You know, he, he, he had somebody was his father. Okay, but then, but then, here's what it says about Zerubbabel. On that day, declares the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, or Padiah, however that worked, whether it was through lineage adoption or through marriage. He says, my servant declares the Lord. And so not only was he a son to someone paternal, but he was a, what is described as, or way that Haggai describes him as, or more, more importantly what God describes Zerubbabel as, that he was a servant He was a servant to a struggling people. That's what he was. He was a servant to a struggling people. Now, again, Zerubbabel was a part of a line of a king. Okay? David's line ultimately led to Jesus as our Messiah. And so he, his, his grandfather was a king. And his grandfather was the king, you know, at the time when the Babylonians came in. That's why he was called a prisoner when he was taken captive. And so, but Zerubbabel was in line. He was in line to be, to be a king. Well, that you know, didn't happen because of the, you know, the invasion of the Babylonians and and their, their, you know, God's people were, you know, placed in captivity. But he, instead of, you know, sulking over that, you know, instead of, you know, being depressed about that, he decided, you know what, I'm going to still figure out, I'm going to still leverage how to serve God's people, even though we're not in the most ideal situation, and God's people are certainly struggling right now, I'm going to try to figure out how to leverage my influence and serve people. And that, that's why Haggai, when he's having a conversation with Zerubbabel, he's saying, you're God's servant you are going to be a servant to a struggling people and you cannot serve under the umbrella of a king even though he probably could have easily you know sort of you know assumed that role he could have come in and bowed his chest and said to his people well my father was a king and you know and his father before that and his father before that and and now I'm going to assume myself as king instead instead this is important he humbled himself he humbled himself and assumed a role as a governor with the, purpose of, with the purpose of serving a struggling people, with the purpose of serving people. This reminds us of the way, the way that Jesus described what it looks like to be great. Jesus said, listen, if you want to be great, if you want to see, if you want to be great, Here's how you're great. He says, the greatest of all is the servant of all. The greatest of all is the servant of all. If you want to be first in the kingdom, how you're first in the kingdom is that you have to become Least, you have to become last in the kingdom of God. That's the upside-down kingdom of what it looks like to have to be great, what it looks like when, when it comes to God's purposes and what God has for you in your life. If you want to experience the more, if you want to experience the more in our lives, Jesus says, how you do that is that you serve, you serve. So the Apostle Paul sort of spends a little bit of time talking about this idea of serving people like Jesus did. This idea of if you want to be great, you're a servant. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you need to be last in, in the kingdom when it comes to serving people, putting people before yourself. So Paul spends a little bit of time talking about this to this church in Corinth. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, for though I am free from all people. For though I am free from all people. Now, think about this for a second. Here's here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. I'm free from the demands and expectations of everyone. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) I'm free from the demands and the expectations of everyone. Okay? Now. Don't feel sorry for me. This is not why I'm saying this. Don't feel sorry for me. But as a pastor, there's a lot of demands and there's a lot of expectations. I read this article. I just want to read it to you. I thought it was good. It's, 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 a, it's a pastor's expectations. Here's Again, this, this is not you. This is not you. I'm not talking about anybody here, okay? This is just me. This is, this is my problem. This is my problem, Okay. So a pastor, a perfect pastor, right? Isn't that how you, like expectations demands? Like you need to be like the perfect parent. You need to have, like, you need to be the perfect, you know, sibling. You need to be the perfect, you know, coworker. You need to, you know, you, you have to be the perfect boss. You know, you have to have it all together. These are sort of the feelings and the demands, the expectations you think people have on you, right, right? So as, so as a pastor, so I, I feel like this is just me. It's not you. It's just me. I, I have to be able to please everyone in the church and meet every person's expectations. So far, so good, right, everybody? I need to speak the truth, stand up for injustice, and never step on anyone's toes. I'm nailing this. The perfect pastor preaches an inspiring sermon every Sunday that makes you cry, laugh, and think deeply about everyday life while still managing to get you out of service in under an hour. I work, eight, I work from 8 in the morning until 10 at night doing everything from preaching to sweeping. The perfect pastor is 33 years old and has been preaching for 40 years. <laughs> the perfect pastor has a desire, a burning desire to work with youth and spend all his time with the senior citizens. Has a keen sense of humor and all while keeping a straight face that shows serious dedication makes 15 home visits a day on church members, spends every free moment evangelizing to non-members, and is always found in the church office when needed. And on top of that, you have to have perfect kids, right? Your kids have to have it all together. Your kids need to win every single sword drill in kids' church. And if not, they're going, what's wrong with the pastor's kids? What's he doing? He's not right? I got news for you. I do not have perfect kids. Now, the only thing I have going for me is I do have a perfect wife. She is perfect. She's the best pastor's wife anybody could have. I'm telling you, she's amazing. All of our pastors on staff have incredible wives, and we're, we're blessed for them. So listen, all of us. So here's what Paul's saying. He's like, I'm free. I'm free from all the demands and expectations of everyone. Just Let's just, just soak that in. Like, what does it look like to live in that way? And so then he says this, because of that, when we can get to that place, when I'm free from the demands and expectations of everyone, like I, I'm just, I'm imperfect, I don't do things right, I'm, I don't get it all right, I don't get it all together. Listen, he says, listen, I, he goes, though, though I am free from all people, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may gain more. That word gain means, is a word that can be translated win. He says, though I'm free from all people, I've just decided I'm just going to use and leverage that freedom that I have, that I freed myself from demands, I freed myself from expectations. I'm going to use that, I'm going to leverage that to, to figure out how I can be a servant to all people. So then he gives some examples. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might gain those who are under the law. And what he's referring to, he's referring to you know, Jews who were under the Mosaic law. They were under all of these laws. There were 600 and some laws that they were submitted to, that they had to follow, that they had to hold, you know, you know, keep to a T. They were, and Paul goes, I'm free from that, but though I'm free from that, I decided that I'm going to try to serve Jews even in a way that they're under the law, but I'm not under the law, but I'm going to just make myself, you know, in a way that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to serve. I'm going to, I'm going to be a person that decides, you know what, even though I don't have to do that, I'm going to do that anyways. Why? Why? Because I want to gain those Jews. I want to gain those Jews under the law. Here's a couple examples of what Paul did for those who were under the law. Acts gives us a couple examples. Number one, Acts 18. Now Paul, when he had remained many days longer, took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Paul first had his hair cut at Saint-Crea for the for he was keeping a vow. So in other words, Paul didn't have to keep any vows. He wasn't under that law. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to keep any vows. But he decided, you know what? In order for me to be able to reach people, in order for me to reach people, to win people to Jesus, I'll just take a vow. Probably because there was some people that he was trying to influence. There was some people that he was trying to serve so that he can win them to Jesus. And so he served them by doing things that they would do. And he took a vow that required him to grow his hair out. It was probably what they call what was called a Nazarite vow, a Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was you you had to do, basically you had to do three things. Uh, You couldn't, you couldn't drink wine. So some of you are out. Um, (laughs) Just, just kidding. You couldn't touch dead things. You're like, I can do that. You couldn't touch, touch dead things. No, and you had to grow your hair out. You had to grow your hair out for, for 30 to 40 days. You had to, you had to grow your hair out. And so when the vow was over, that's when you cut your hair. So Paul's like, hey, if I'm going to go into this Nazarite vow, you know, I don't have to. If I don't have to, if I'm going to go, it's because the intentions were he wanted to gain them for the kingdom. He wanted to gain them into a relationship with Jesus. So he was willing to serve them in that way, even though he didn't have to. He didn't have to. Now, getting a haircut is an easy one. Let me give you and show you another one that probably isn't as easy. Let me give you another example. Acts 16. Now, Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was not Jewish. His father was a Greek. He was a Gentile. And he was well spoken of by the brothers. So Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3. Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him. Your moms will explain that to you if there's any children in the room. There's kids' church available to you. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews, because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You're like, this got gross right now for a second. Paul said, listen, Timothy, we want to reach people and for some reason or another, may, they might find out that you're not circumcised. So let's get you circumcised so that there's no hindrances to the cause and the work of the gospel. Look what happens next. Look at it says, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in faith and were increasing in number daily. What are you willing to do to gain people to the cause Jesus, You're like, I'll get a haircut, but that's all I'm cutting. <laughs> what, you don't expect the past? I'm not meeting your expectations and your demands right now? What are you really? Paul's like, we, it was so critically important that there was no barriers, that there was no obstacles in the way of making sure that people knew Jesus. So that's what he did. Those who were under the law. Then he goes on to say this, back to 1 Corinthians 9. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who were without the law. So let me give you an example of what he would do with those who were outside of Jew, Jewish tradition, outside of Mosaic tradition. I'm not gonna get gross anymore, okay? All right, so what did he do for that? Well, we can find that in Acts 17, what he did, just an example. So when Paul went to Athens, he travels there, and in his time there, he's walking around, and here's what he says. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this, this inscription to an unknown God so Pauls walking through Athens he sees hundreds and hundreds of idols hundreds of idols he doesn't he doesn't show up there and he doesn't start ripping all these idols down that's not what he does he doesn't show up there and he's all offended and mad because they're worshipping something else that he doesn't worship and and you know they're not worshipping the true God no instead he's like how do i leverage this. How do I use this? And so he notices that there's an idol there to that with the inscription to an unknown god. And he says, "Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you." He's like, they just wanted to make sure that they were covering all of their idol bases. They just wanted to make sure that they didn't miss any deity which were not deities at all, that they, went, they didn't want to miss anything. So they had this inscription to this unknown God just in case. And Paul says, I'm going to leverage that. I'm going to use that to those people that are outside of the law. I'm going to use that. And I'm going to tell them, I'm going to proclaim to them Jesus. And that's what he does. And as he's proclaiming Jesus, look what Paul does. Look what Paul does. He quotes one of their own poets He quotes one of their own poets. He says, for in him we live and move and exist. He's talking about Jesus as he's preaching to them, to those who are non-Jews, Gentiles, you know, Greeks uh, in Athens. He says, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. Now, Paul is quoting from a poet by the name of Epimenides. He's quoting from Epimenides. What Paul is doing is he's using their own culture, their own popular culture, and leveraging truth from their own popular culture to share Jesus, to talk about Jesus. Why? Because he just wanted to figure out how to serve people and to win people to Jesus. So it would be like me saying this, going to a reggae concert. (laughs) From the bottomless pit, but my hand was made strong. By the hand of the Almighty, we forward in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help me sing these songs of freedom? Because all I ever have, redemption songs, redemption songs. It'd be like me going, hey, you know what? in this Bob Marley song? And you'd be like, what? You would use a Bob Marley song? Yeah. If it was an opportunity to win someone to Jesus, if it was an opportunity to tell somebody, you can be in a bottomless pit, but the hand of the Almighty can pull you out of that and you can move forward triumphantly. Jesus is that for you. You're like, are you preaching a Bob Marley song? Yeah, I am. And it may not be to you, but I would do that to those who would maybe resonate with that. You with me? That's what Paul did. Let me give you another example. What once was hurt was once was friction. What left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. You too, right? Right? This is what Paul would do. Why? Why? Because he used his freedom. Was he under the law? Nope. Was he outside the law? Nope. But he would use his freedom to figure out how to serve people with the ambition with the ambition of reaching people for Jesus. And he would use any tactic he could possibly use. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 9 to the weak i became weak that i might gain the weak and the, the weak there means uh, not like physical weak but consciously weak like simple minded or children he's he's speaking of that so he said to the weak or to like children i became like a child i would i would re, you know change my approach if i was talking to an adult versus a child that i might gain the weak i have become all things to all people so that by So that I may, by all means, there it is save some. So, for me personally, that's our Memorial Day parade. That's your goofy pastor in that suit. To the Star Wars fans, I became Darth Vader. That I might win children at Adventure Week, I have become. There it is. I have become Darth Vader for children, so that I may I may by all means save some. You're like, why are you doing it? Because you think, well, I sort of like being in Darth Vader. I'll just be honest. It was a blast. It was fun. But that's not what's the main purpose. The main purpose is, and 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 thank you for not being offended and not like getting upset, and maybe you're just not in the room anymore and you work. But the reason why we do these things is because we want to save some. And we try to use and we try to leverage things to get them into a place where we can then share the gospel. For us, for Paul, he was not a chameleon. He never compromised, nor did he ever condemn anyone. He didn't try to fit in and change and adjust his his approach or or the message of the gospel. The method was different. The method was different with Jews. The method was different with Gentiles. The method was different with Greeks. The method was different, always different, but the mission was always the same. He was a chameleon. He he never compromised, nor did he ever judge or condemn anyone. He just said, I want to try to leverage my influence to serve people, to be a servant of people so that I can save people. Some, In other words, he was, not, uh, he was doing the great commission prescribed by the great commandment. He was doing the great commission prescribed by the great commandment. Now, here's a clue as to where we need to live. Okay, Paul gives us this clue of where we all need to live. Paul wasn't under the law nor was he outside of the law. But Paul was under something. And he tells us this. He tells us this. Let me, let's go back. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God. But look what he says. But under the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. So Paul says, listen, I'm, I put myself in where we need to be, where all of us need to be, is that we need to all be under the law of Christ. What is that? Well, that's one command. One command. Jesus said, listen, I don't have 613 commands like, like you have if you're under the law. I don't have all these rules and demands and expectations and regulations. Paul says, I've got one command. Rule and I'm under the law of Christ. Jesus said, I got one command for you. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. He says to his disciples, John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another. Jesus said, "Here's here's the law of Christ that all of us need to be under when it comes to addressing every single person that you come across in your life. You and I are under the law of Christ and that is that you love people as Jesus loved you. You and I love people, love one another just as Jesus loved you. Jesus says, you also love one another. And then he says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know how people will know that you're a Jesus follower? Not because you get up on Sunday morning and come to church. Not because you, of how many Bible verses you know and you quote them off at work. Not because somebody sees you praying at your job. No, 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 no. That's not how people will know that you are a follower of Jesus. How people will know that you're a follower of Jesus is how you love people. How you love one another. Jesus says, I got one rule. That's it. One thing. One thing I want you to follow, one command, not 600, not 10, not even two. I've got one that you love people as I have loved you. You love one another. And Jesus exhibited this, Jesus demonstrated this. He said, Hey, listen, I. Jesus, in that particular chapter, John 13, Jesus and his disciples go into an upper room. This is the the, the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And you know what Jesus does? You know what Jesus does if you're a part of, been in church. Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus begins, he picks up a bowl, he picks up a rag, and he begins to kneel down, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Even, listen to me, listen, this is so important. Even the disciple who was just about to betray him, he washed his feet. Even the disciple that was about ready to deny him he washed his feet. Even to those group of disciples, and one disciple particularly, who was going to doubt him that he resurrected, he washed his feet. Even those disciples who ran and hid after Jesus was arrested, he washed their feet. And he said this, you call me Lord and Master, and I am, but as I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, You must wash the feet of others. He says, I gave this as an example for you. It doesn't mean that we gotta go around and wash people's feet. Don't do that. That's weird. But what that means is, is that Jesus said, just as I gave you an example of washing feet, I want you to figure out how to leverage your Influence and know your audience so that you can be a part of God's saving redemption plan. Paul says, I'm willing to do anything, anything to save some. He doesn't say say save all. He doesn't say save all. Because not all of them are gonna receive what you have to say. But he says, listen, there's some that will. And they'll know and they'll see. They'll see because because you are doing the one command, the great command. Informed by the great commission. To serve, to serve, to serve people with the opportunity to save some, to save some. I've had a privilege over the years um, to be a part of a lot of weddings. Partly had to do with the fact that I was uh, a single adult pastor for many years. And so singles would meet singles and then they would get married. You know how that works, right? Right. And so they would ask me to be a part. So for years and years and years, I have hundreds, like hundreds and hundreds of weddings that I've been a part of. And I love that opportunity, especially in, in these days where where people that would come and they wouldn't really have anything to do with our church, but they would let, get a hold of us and say, "Hey, you know, we're looking for a church, and we need a pastor. Can you know to perform our ceremony? Would you be would you be willing to do that?" And I say, "And often, if I can, if I can, if I can do it, I'll do it. I'll do it." Not because it's not, it's not because it's easy, it takes time, but because, because, and here's what I tell them, listen, I'll marry you on that particular day, but you're going to go and you're going to sit down with me three, four times, and you're going to go through some premarital. And I'm going to talk about marriage in the view of God, what God says about, about marriage. And so three, four times leading up to their wedding day, I get to sit down with couples that may or may not have any church background, any church experience, may know Jesus, may not know Jesus. And I get to sit down with them and I get to talk about marriage with them, godly marriage and what marriage is a picture of. That it's a picture of Jesus and his church and the love and the mutual love and submission for each other. And yesterday I did a wedding and this couple came. They got, they got a hold of us. They have no church affiliation. So I said to them, I said this, and again, just, just, I just, this is what I told them. I said, you don't have to pay me, but you have to come to church periodically. And they agreed to that. And so they would come to church periodically and I would sit down with them and do premarital. And I would just go through this, this, this process with them in, in hopes of, and here's my ambition, in hopes of that if they don't know Jesus, that they'll see Jesus. That they've never had an encounter with a God who loves them, that they have that encounter with me because I just want to love them where they're at. As a matter of fact, I've gone so far. There's a couple sitting here right in this room that said, hey, we need to get married and we know that we're not doing what God wants us to do in our, marriage or in our life and so we need to get married. I said, let's marry you on a Sunday at church. They said at church. I said, "Yeah, let's do it." So a number of years ago, I, I, I don't remember the, the exact time. A number of years ago, we had a literally had a wedding right here in church on a Sunday morning, and you had no idea. You just showed up to a wedding. Why? Because I love them. Why? Because I knew whenever you have a wedding, guess what? You invite people to a wedding. And so they invited family and friends to come to their wedding on a Sunday morning. And guess what I got to do? I got to preach Jesus, I got to share Jesus. This afternoon, I get to meet with a family. Now, these are things that are not easy to do. I, I get called, and it, this, is, it's, this is such an honor. This is such an honor. I, I truly see this as an honor. But Lynch and Sons across the street will call me anytime time that there's a family that doesn't have a pastor or church connection because they think that I do a decent job at connecting with families that aren't connected with God or church. And I get to sit down with a family this afternoon as they're going through grief and pain and sorrow and loss and I get to try to make it as personal and connect with them the best way that I possibly can. I just simply get to love these people in hopes that, in hopes that, that if they don't know Jesus, that they get To see and experience and know Jesus because I know what Jesus did for me, and I want want Jesus to do that for you, and I want Jesus to do that for everyone. So, whatever it takes, whatever the time commitment, whatever how difficult it can be, and whatever how much pain it brings and joy sometimes that it brings, it's worth it. Why? Because we're on mission. We're on mission to serve people and to love people just like Jesus loved you and Jesus loved me. A few years ago, we went on this youth retreat and we went and stayed at this uh, uh, home over off the St. Clair River and we were walking uh, down in the downtown area, Marine City area downtown and there was a young man who went with us on this, on this trip who had no church background, uh, didn't know Jesus at all. As a matter of fact, on that trip, he pulls me off to the side and says, uh, Pastor, he goes, I'm sitting and I'm listening to your talks and, and all the, you know, the group stuff. And he goes, I'm just not buying this. I'm just not buying this. I'm 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 here because I thought you know this would be kind of fun to do, but the whole God thing I'm not really interested in, and so I sent him home. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Of course not. You're like what a jerk. No, I said thank you. That's refreshing. Thank you for your honesty. I said, God can work with that. I love that honesty. I love the fact that you don't really sure where you're at in your faith and about this whole Jesus thing, this whole God thing. I appreciate that. So one day we were walking in that downtown area, and there was this bridge that was probably 30 feet high that went into this canal that led into the St. Clair River. And he, he pulls me over to the side and says, hey, Pastor Chris, can I jump off that bridge into water? I said, I kind of hemmed and hawed for a while and I'm like, everything inside of me was like, no, this is not a good idea. No, this is not a good idea. And I thought, maybe I'll have opportunity. I said, let's do it. Let's do it. So we, before the cops came, just kidding, just kidding. Rumor was that they were called But just, just, just ignore that part of the story So we 30 feet high bridge Don't ever send your kids on a retreat with me Jumped into the water And we had a riot Since then This young man Got saved He got baptized he serves in our church more often than not I'll come into the building and he's here we give him access to our hide key I'm not telling you where it's at but he knows and I'll walk into this room and the lights are off and nobody's here throughout the week and he'll just be sitting right here praying praying and maybe I don't know Maybe because one day I just decided that I'm going to become a bridge jumper <laughs> with the possibility of saving some one. What are you willing to do, right? What are you willing to do? Because Paul says, listen, he goes 1 Corinthians 9. He goes, I do all things. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In other words, Paul says, I don't want to just talk about the gospel. I don't want to just talk about how good the gospel is. I want to be a participant in the gospel. I want to be a participant in the gospel. In the gospel. Let's not be a church. Let's not be a people that we just talk about how good God is. Let's not talk about what Jesus has done for us, but let's be a participant in it. Let's just be people that say, you know what? I'm going to get active, I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to find someone. To serve. I'm going to become great in their eyes. How is that? By becoming their servant. I'm free from all people. No demands. No expectations. But that gives me the freedom to serve people. I'm going to become least for the cause and the sake of the gospel. Hey, let's participate Let's just not show up and sit in chairs and hopefully I made you laugh and cry and contemplate your life. Let's be players in the game of the mission of Jesus. You were given a commission and you were given a commandment. Love people as much as Jesus loved you. Sacrificially and unconditionally. What do you say? Let's pray. Father, let's be a church that we are fellow partakers. We're not just sitting on the sidelines watching other people do this thing called Christianity. But let us not be, let's not be people, Lord, that are just too busy within our schedules, within our weeks, to, to miss the mission, to forget the mission, to forget that we are under, we are under your law. We're under your law. And your law is to love people, to love people as you have loved us. To figure out what people we can we can wash their feet. You gave us that example. We just want to be those kind of people that are just people that are washing feet. How can I serve? How can I leverage this influence? How can I make an impact knowing my audience? God, just help us with that. Help us always be in tune to the great commission and the great commandment. Because it's all, all the things that we do, all the things that we do, I hope us to see, God, that all the things that we do is for the sake, for the sake of the good news, of your son Jesus who died for us who took our shame who took our guilt who took our pain who took our grief who took our sorrow who once we were in darkness and you brought us into your marvelous light we were once dead in our trespasses and sins and you made us alive through the spirit of your son Jesus God we thank you so much We thank you for setting the example of what it looks like to live in this life and to serve people. That we do nothing out of selfishness. We do nothing out of vain conceit. But we consider others more important than ourselves. That's being a participant. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for allowing us to be a a player in this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, I'm here.